This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. It was 1875, and the people under the blazing Minnesota sun hoped for relief. At first, they welcomed the ominous cloud forming on the horizon, but instead of rain, came locusts. Like something out of a horror movie, they blanketed everything before them, eating and chewing through every green-growing thing. And then, when they had devoured every crop, the ravenous insects took to paper, cloth, and even the wool off of sheep. Intense summer heat had caused the grasshopper population to explode. For some mysterious reason, certain species morphed into hideous, long-winged, ravenous locusts. And while, yes, insects are pretty light, estimates put the total weight of the swarm at roughly the equivalent of a full-grown bison. They blanketed the skies and fields from Texas in the south all the way to the Dakota Territory in the north. The locusts washed up against fences, creating drifts a foot deep. As one landowner put it, they ate everything except the mortgage. Farmers filled trenches with sticks and leaves before setting them ablaze, but the thick wave of locusts smothered the flames. It was like bringing a fly swatter to a gunfight. When autumn rolled in, the bugs sunned themselves on the railroad tracks. But when the cooler morning came, the chilly insects found themselves unable to move. If you're imagining a slippery, gooey mess and train wrecks, then we're both on the same page. Communities turned to the government for assistance. Unfortunately, state governments offered next to no relief, and Congress tossed a measly $100,000 at the problem. In 1875, the locusts returned in record numbers. At an astounding 110 miles wide, 1,800 miles long, and a quarter mile deep, they covered a staggering 198,000 square miles. And inside that buzzing cloud were an estimated 3.5 trillion hungry insects. Many settlers abandoned their homesteads and ventured west, hoping for a fresh start. But new isn't always better, and sometimes it comes at an unimaginable cost. I'm Aaron Mankey, and welcome to the Wild West.
They had always been wanderers. Ever since the moment their ancestors first stepped off the Mayflower, the Ingalls family had been reinventing themselves through hardship, and they were good at it. In fact, it might have been that starting point in Puritan New England, where Martha Ingalls had been accused of witchcraft in the town of Salem, that spurred their move westward. By the time Charles was born in 1836, the family had settled in New York. Unfortunately for the Ingalls family, America's first Great Depression came along a year later. As it dragged on for the next seven years, it decimated whatever wealth the family managed to accumulate. Their search for a better life led them to Wisconsin, and although the family was poor, Charles found riches in another area of life, love. He met Caroline Lake Quiner, whose family was equally poor. Romance blossomed between them, and they married in February of 1860. For a short time, life seemed good for both clans. Sadly, the financial crash after the Southern Secession shattered their dreams of prosperity, nearly wiping out both families' life savings. In making matters worse, Wisconsin put a controversial military draft in place as the Civil War began. Caroline's brother Joseph tragically died after an injury he sustained in the Battle of Shiloh. To avoid the draft, many of the male residents of Wisconsin suddenly developed a range of disabilities. Some claimed to have bad eyes, while others said they suffered from lameness or bronchitis. I've seen no mention of bone spurs, but I'm sure that excuse was used as well. Charles Ingalls also managed to avoid enlistment, although it's unclear how. The Ingalls headed north to live closer to family who had settled in Pepin, Wisconsin. In January of 1865, they welcomed their first child, Mary Amelia. Two years later, in February of 1867, Laura Elizabeth was born. But it wasn't long before the family hit the open road again. This time they traveled through Missouri and then to southeastern Kansas. At first they tried to settle in Native American territory, but that didn't work out as planned. So they began searching for a new opportunity. It was the rumor of rich farmland in Minnesota that finally drew them north. During their travels, Caroline gave birth to two more daughters, Carrie and Grace. The Ingalls had very little to no money but the newly minted Homestead Act gave the family of six an opportunity that they couldn't resist. And we've talked about the act before on this show, but here's a quick refresher. Established in 1862, it offered lower-income Americans the chance to own their own land. Homesteaders could either take to squatting on land or pay a small fee. But nothing comes without a catch, does it? And those seeking property also had to reside on it for five years. And there were other conditions, too. Applicants had to be either the head of a household or at least 21 years old. Two neighbors or friends had to vouch that claimants had never taken up arms against the U.S. and intended to honor the requirements. And free land was too good to pass up. After filing a claim for a nice piece of property along the banks of Plum Creek near Walnut Grove, the Ingalls settled down once again. But carving out a new life was far from easy. Homesteaders faced blizzards and limited supplies. Open fields meant fewer trees for building materials and their livestock struggled with the lack of proper vegetation. Despite their hard work, the family remained poor. For Christmas one year, Laura and her siblings felt lucky enough to get a piece of candy. That was it. Tucked away deep in the woods, predators like wolves howled in the night. Fire was an ever-present threat, and the distance between neighbors and towns made getting crops to market difficult. But hope outweighed the risks for them. And when the first railway connecting the east to the west coast was completed on May 10th of 1869, farmers everywhere rejoiced. More land rushes spurred on a wave of homesteaders. But with all the difficulty, 
and the locust invasions, the Ingalls began to look elsewhere. This time the family set off for Dakota Territory. Unbeknownst to them, though, the best land had already been taken. But that wouldn't be the worst of their troubles. I can only imagine what it looked like. Newspaper ads depicted fields of bountiful crops, utter abundance to those who were down on their luck. But little did they know that those railroad company ads were nothing more than an illusion. You see, the Great Plains, including the Dakota Territory, had remained largely unsettled until the late 1870s, for a few reasons. For one, Native Americans had put up a valiant resistance against displacement from their ancestral territory. One clear example of this could be seen as gold seekers descended upon the Black Hills, forcing the Cheyenne and Lakota Sioux to fight to protect their sacred land. And then there was the environment. To put it bluntly, the Great Plains was a farming nightmare. Even as far back as 1803, Thomas Jefferson called it, and I quote, an immense trackless desert. And over the years, numerous explorers and surveyors echoed his sentiments. In 1877, Major John Wesley Powell, a war hero and a scientist, conducted extensive expeditions into the Western territories. He classified the land into three categories, humid, subhumid, and arid. And here's the kicker. According to Powell, a mere 3% of the arid land was suitable for farming. He warned anyone who would listen that the small farmers flocking to Dakota Territory would likely be financially ruined within a decade. Their only hope was cooperative farming. If local farmers could pool their resources and knowledge, he suggested that they might stand a chance. But railroad companies brushed away Powell's scientific evidence and warnings. Instead, they waged a relentless campaign to fuel the Dakota boom. After all, without the farmers and travelers, the railroads wouldn't make a dime. Charles found a job as a bookkeeper with a railroad company. He scouted the area around Silver Lake for the perfect homestead, eventually choosing a plot not far from the budding town of DeSmet. After the winter of 1879, the area became a boom town, and the Ingalls built a structure not much more than a shack. Claim shanties, like the one that Charles and his family constructed, were flimsy structures made from spare materials and leftover lumber. The spring and summer were beautiful that year and the family needed little more than what nature provided, and they barely had more than that anyway. And although the weather was pleasant, the soil and the farming conditions were meager at best. But Charles was nothing if not resourceful. Wild grasses grew abundantly, and he cut and sold them for a quick buck. They invested in a mowing machine and a hay rake with the money that they earned from that. But little did they know that this crop would serve as a lifeline during the unforgiving months to come. Charles and Caroline had planned to rely on the railroads to supplement their supplies. But nature had its own plans. In late September that year, the summer drew to a close, and rains arrived. And then, in a twist of fate, on Friday, October 15th of 1880, it happened. The sun seemed to vanish from the sky. The winds shifted to the northwest, bringing torrential rain. Sleet and ice followed. A blizzard, unusually early for the season, descended upon Desmet. Snowfall intensified throughout the day and night, transforming the landscape into a maze of enormous snowdrifts. While there were no reported deaths, the blizzard wreaked havoc. The Ingalls battled the elements, performing chores and preparing meals, and simply trying to stay warm. The wind in the region howled at speeds of up to 70 miles per hour, and unprotected animals succumbed to the bitter cold. Settler David Gilbert and his father had been constructing a shanty made of sod when the storm hit. 
They huddled together in the structure for three days and prayed that the roof would hold. Lucky for them, they survived to tell the tale. Charles realized that the shanty would not be suitable for winter. With the weather turning pleasant once again, the family packed their belongings and moved to one of the store buildings he had erected in Dismet. The buildings were more secure, and the proximity to neighbors, shops, and the railway offered a better chance of survival. Even before the Ingalls arrived, though, a letter from a missionary had described the brutal winters in Dakota Territory. It warned of how the north wind raged with unimaginable violence, burying everything under thick layers of snow. If only Charles had read those accounts, perhaps he would have chosen a different path. Charles remained optimistic. Yes, winter was coming, but people were close enough to town to be ready to lend a hand, should anyone need it. And together, they would also keep the railways clear, which meant that fresh supplies wouldn't be a problem. Unfortunately, those townsfolk were about to come face-to-face -face with a harsh reality. The first winter storm came calling in November. Sure, everyone expected snow, but no one expected the whiteout conditions. The blizzard caught Laura, Carrie, their teacher, and their classmates by surprise. They shuffled along, keeping focused on the direction of the closest building. Thankfully, the teacher's brother, Cap Garland, had broken away from the group and taken shelter. He organized a search party that found Laura and the others just in time, but they hadn't been heading towards safety after all. Disoriented by the conditions, they had been heading straight out into the prairie. The blizzards were relentless. As the weeks went on, snowdrifts covered the buildings, and farmers had to tunnel from their houses to their barns to feed the livestock. Snow piled up on the railroad tracks, defying their best efforts to keep them clear. And according to a few cowboys, the snow filled a nearby canyon that was roughly 30 feet deep. And the situation only became worse in January of 1881, when railway service to the area was suspended. The snow seemed unbeatable, and without the trains bringing in fresh supplies, starvation became an imminent threat. The 100 people trapped in the town began to wonder if they would live to see spring. Multiple families moved in with each other to help with chores. Businessmen formed communities to assist in rationing shares of food and fuel. And it was oppressive, too. Snow piled against windows, which blocked out most of the daylight. The constantly howling wind and the dwindling stock of lamp oil weighed heavily on everyone's spirits. Coal was also in short supply, forcing settlers to twist hay into sticks for fuel. And thanks to the bitter cold, those fires had to be kept burning day and night. The Ingalls took turn either twisting hay or grinding seed for bread. Their family shared their building with George and Maggie Masters, but Laura couldn't help but notice that the couple did nothing to contribute to the survival efforts. So Charles played the fiddle to keep everyone's spirits up, although his hands were dry and cracked from twisting so much hay. And then one night, the strings snapped, leaving them with nothing but conversation and the howling winds. Under such strain, everyone's sanity began to slip. In the midst of this desperation, a story emerged about a stockpile of wheat for sale. But the problem was the lone settler lived 20 miles away. So Almanzo Wilder and Cap Garland embarked on a dangerous journey to acquire the wheat, a tale later recounted by Laura. But in truth, there's very little evidence to support her version of the events, and alternative accounts suggest that other sources of wheat were available. Finally, though, spring arrived, but the hardships were far from over. The warm April weather melted all of that snow, causing massive flooding that nearly swept away the nearby town of Yankton. 
In fact, more people died in the spring floods than during the blizzards. When the first train arrived on April 1st of 1881, the settlers were elated, but those hopes were dashed when they discovered it only carried farm equipment. The disappointment led to near riots, with the townspeople stealing telegraph poles to burn for fuel. As the town struggled to recover, the rest of the country entered a period of prosperity known as the Gilded Age. And while some prospered, Charles Ingalls never realized his dream of a bountiful crop. Laura helped support the family by taking on teaching positions, and Mary went to a college for the blind. But of course, the family's experience would live on. Many years later, Laura began to write about her life in the West and the time spent on the Dakota Prairie. She also wrote about her courtship and engagement to Almanza Wilder in 1884 and their small wedding the following year. And it would have been a happy ending, except for a small note on the final page. What came next, she wrote, was nobody's fault. Laura Ingalls Wilder lived an astonishing 90 years. It was a life that left an indelible mark on American literature. Her novels captivated children with tales of a young girl's life full of courage and triumph on the prairie. For many, those books were a beacon of hope for a better future. And while based in reality, Laura's stories were a far cry from the truth of her own life. In her fictionalized accounts, she carefully omitted the darker aspects of her childhood and entirely overlooked her married years. The reason might be evident if we look a little closer. You see, in 1889, the Dakota boom had turned into a bust, plunging the Wilders deeper into hardship and despair. The final blow came in August of 1889 when the family home caught fire, reducing their dreams to ashes. Faced with a bleak future in a region ravaged by a devastating drought, the Wilders packed up and left the Dakota Territory behind. They briefly took refuge with Almanzo's family in Minnesota, hoping to recover from their losses. And the move would mark the end of the Ingalls' time together as an extended family unit. Laura seldom returned to Dismet after that, except for a few brief visits. The entire area was reeling under a catastrophic drought. The bitter truth was that the farmers had unwittingly contributed to their own plight by tearing up the fragile ecosystem to make way for the thirsty wheat crop. The reduction of certain wildlife, too, such as wolves and bison, also disrupted the delicate balance of nature. Contrary to the belief that rain would inevitably follow the plow, what followed instead was an unforgiving drought that lasted for six long years. And like her father and those who came before him, Laura became a wanderer, finally settling in Missouri. She and Almanzo acquired Rocky Ridge Farm, hoping to fulfill their dream of becoming self-sufficient and prosperous. And along the way, Laura's tales helped her make sense of a turbulent childhood and gave her a chance to honor her parents. Her father Charles passed away in 1902, followed by Caroline in 1924. And perhaps Laura used the writing of these books as a form of self-care. She constructed a world where hard work, determination, and grit could bring the American dream to life. An ideal for sure. Maybe even a fantasy. The Homestead Act was a disappointment for a lot of people. The lack of funds, the terrible weather, and all those wasted years working for a wheat crop that failed to deliver led to a lot of shattered dreams. In 1871, the popular song, Don't Leave the Farm, Boys, encouraged people to hold on to their dreams. But a reworking of the hymn, Beulah Land, into Dakota Land, might have summed up Laura Wilder's childhood experience better. We do not live, we only stay. 
We are too poor to get away. I hope you enjoyed our journey into the darker aspects of that old myth that the Wild West was the promised land. So much gets overlooked when we sum it all up nice and concisely, and like so many stories throughout history, this one reveals a darker underbelly. But our battle against the elements isn't over just yet. We've got one more tale about the brutality of the Wild West to share. And if you stick around through this brief sponsor break, my teammate Ali Steed will tell you all about it. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. The land was vast and fertile, as far as the eye could see, the rich soil hinted at bountiful harvests, and the open sky foretold a future of life-giving rain. This vision drove European settlers across North America, from the woods of New England to the golden promise of California. Rain follows the plow had become a mantra. Armed with this belief, farmers set out to conquer the untamed land, and they were chasing a lie. By 1933, everyone realized there was something wrong with the weather. A saying is just a saying, after all. What was once a hot, dry spell revealed itself as something more ominous. Because it wasn't rain that followed the plow. It was drought. They were entering the era we now call the Dust Bowl. Trouble began three years earlier, in 1930, when rainfall began to decrease. Yet, it was only when the full force of the drought hit that farmers and scientists realized the magnitude of it all. So much of the soil caught on the wind, creating rolling dusters. Some could last as long as 24 hours, and every year the number of storms increased. 
Imagine looking outside and seeing a black cloud bearing down on you and realizing it's a blizzard of dust with drift so deep that people took to shoveling it like they would snow. The drought struck hard, slashing normal precipitation levels by 40, 50, and even 60%, and a lot of these areas didn't get much rain to begin with. The storms transformed the Great Plains into a desolate wasteland. The sky darkened for days on end, and homes were infiltrated by a thick layer of dust, no matter how well sealed. Nineteen states fell victim to the wrath of the Dust Bowl. The toll on human life was immeasurable. Aside from some people and animals being lost, the storms caused health issues too. Dust pneumonia, a condition caused by inhaling fine particles, afflicted the population. Estimates of the death toll ranged from hundreds to several thousand individuals. Men, women, and children were all vulnerable, but it was the young and the elderly who suffered the most. Malnutrition weakened their bodies, leaving them defenseless against the restless assaults of dust storms. Livestock and wild animals fared no better. With their food sources withered away, they resorted to desperate measures, devouring the leaves from trees, if they could find any. Farm animals stood in fields, their nostrils caked with dirt, and many suffocated. People noticed that the dry air crackled with static electricity, making even a simple handshake seem risky. On May 9, 1934, 12 million pounds of dust rained down on Chicago, and then the storm continued east, reaching the coast and allowing the nation to witness the horrors of the plains firsthand. But the worst was yet to come. On April 14, 1935, a monster storm battered the Oklahoma panhandle. Winds reaching 60 miles an hour created a wall of dust so thick it blotted out the sun. People were left stranded, unable to see their own hands in front of their faces. And many believed that Judgment Day had come. Associate Press reporter Robert Geiger aptly named the disaster the Dust Bowl. After that storm, capturing the essence of its terror. Desperation drove people away from their homes, selling anything and everything they could and embarking on a journey to find work elsewhere. Nearly 2.5 million people left Texas, New Mexico, Colorado, Nebraska, Kansas, and Oklahoma. The mass exodus was one of the largest migrations in American history. Programs such as the Soil Erosion Service and the Prairie State's Forestry Project were established in 1935 to combat erosion. The Soil Conservation Service, now known as the Natural Resources Conservation Service, promoted new farming techniques to conserve topsoil and restore the land. By 1938, soil loss had been reduced by 65%. The drought finally broke in the autumn of 1939, when rains returned to the prairies. But how did we get here? The Dust Bowl wasn't just a byproduct of the weather or the Great Depression. It was one of the greatest man-made catastrophes in history, born from the relentless pursuit of the American dream. Farmers, enticed by the promises of the Homestead Act and exaggerated claims by railroad companies, unwittingly became the agents of their own destruction. Homesteaders and railroads tore through the Great Plains, plowing up a fragile ecosystem and disrupting the delicate balance of nature. The topsoil, which had taken thousands of years to create and settle, 
was raked and plowed to oblivion, turning everything to dust. The scars left by the Dust Bowl would forever mar the landscape. The Dirty Thirties etched themselves into history as one of the most terrifying and desperate periods in American memory. But Laura Ingalls Wilder wasn't the only one writing about the people and towns on the edge of despair. From Woody Guthrie to John Steinbeck, the Dust Bowl affected everyone and lives on in our collective consciousness. One of the darkest times in American history, and we brought it on ourselves. Grim and Mild Presents The Wild West was executive produced by me, Aaron Mankey, and hosted by Aaron Mankey and Alexandra Steed. Writing for this season was provided by Michelle Muto, with research by Alexandra Steed, Sam Alberti, Cassandra de Alba, and Harry Marks. Fact-checking was performed by Jamie Vargas, with sensitivity reading by Stacey Partial Jensen. Production assistance was provided by Josh Thane, Jesse Funk, Alex Williams, and Matt Frederick. To learn more about this and other shows from Grim and Mild and iHeartRadio, visit GrimAndMild.com. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit RightRug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.